It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Miss the show, no problems on point and on the program. With growing pressure and public shaming, the Liberals table a plan to bring Afghan interpreters and their families to Canada. What took them so long? CSIS warning that the upcoming election could be compromised by foreign actors who want to undermine our democracy by putting out misinformation aimed at dividing and breaking trust. So what are those in charge going to do to prevent this? And the Olympics underway, but the summer game's so volatile, it's even too risky for sponsors, which are pulling out their investments to avoid the bad press. Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Your, your staff knew, the minister knew. I mean, are you, are you angry that you didn't know about these allegations? No, the minister actually consulted uh, with the experts, consulted uh, with the Privy Council office to make sure that he was taking every step necessary. When the media latches on to this, as you are... It's and, not and the so, media, it's, it's, well, a, it's the victims, no, yes. it's the alleged no, no, victims no, 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 that are saying no, this to us. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, the, the victims mm. and survivors have been very clear, and okay. we are working with them, and we are working with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Justin Trudeau's not angry. The media should just mind its own business. Right? That's how it works. Stay in your lane, lady. Stay in your lane. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, July 23rd. Welcome to the weekend. Holy, this month is going fast. Hard to believe that we're almost uh, into what they call the dog days of summer. But yes, it is uh, going by quickly. Going by quickly. And, of course, the start of the Olympics Games are now underway. I don't know if this is going to be a complete disaster or a smashing success. It's just really hard to say. I actually like the Summer Games, so I, I tend to to watch some of the events. I love the track and field, but I love the gymnastics. Love the equestrian sports. And no one ever gives us credit. We always do pretty well in the equestrian sports. We always medal or, or, uh, or win. Our, our team got disqualified this year over something so stupid, something so stupid, but we still have the individual riders. So we do well in equestrian events, so I'll be watching that. And, of course, the gymnastics, because uh, that American team is just unbelievable. But they've already projected that we will win 21 medals, four of them gold. We'll get uh, something in uh, a gold in decathlon, judo, diving, and canoe. Doesn't seem like much, but nonetheless. Andre de Graspe, um he'll be a big ticket to watch. He, he medaled three times in Rio, and now they say they believe he'll get a bronze this time in the 200. So it will be um, pick and choose, I think, for a lot of people, but uh, we'll be off to the races and see how it goes. And uh, maybe some people won't even tune in. There's just been so much controversy over these games. It'll be interesting to see what the draw is. Can we just stop calling Justin Trudeau a feminist? Because he's not. So let's stop echoing his self-proclamation that he's a defender of all women because there are just way too many examples that prove he's a sanctimonious fraud. And we got another example of this earlier in the week. And Trudeau sat down with Global News anchor Farah Nasser 
And, of course, he delivered all the well-rehearsed talking points. And then it came to Nasser's question where she asked if he was angry that he didn't know about the 2018 sexual misconduct allegations against his former Chief of Defense Staff John Vance, General John Vance. And not only not is he angry, but he made very, very clear he didn't like the question and then lectured Nasser on how the media does its job. When the media latches on to this, as you are... It's and, not the and media, so, it's, it's, well, a, it's the victims, no, yes. it's the alleged no, 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 victims no, 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 that are saying no, this to yes, us. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, the, the victims mm -hmm. and survivors have been very clear, and okay. we are working with them, and we are working with them. But, you know, when you say things like, why didn't the minister tell you, and then you say you can't even tell me what the minister said because mm -hmm. the minister didn't know things, you're, you're actually sharing half of the story. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Chicks really love when you mansplain how a sexual harassment scandal should be reported. I heard that, and I had to listen to it again, and then again, because I missed this. I, I didn't actually see this part of the interview. I, I missed this. And I thought, is this, is this guy kidding? Is he serious? I mean, talk about arrogance. Talk about thin skin. The guy's got cojones that have a case of elephantitis. I don't know who he thinks he is. But he's not a feminist, I assure you. He's not a feminist. And, and I would not have been so polite. No, 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 no. No? Really? Yeah, the guy you heard right there is the very guy who proclaims to be this great defender of women, and then he's talking down to a female journalist who asks relevant questions about this sexual misconduct fiasco that has left our military in chaos and his former top general being criminally charged. And his response isn't one of concern or reassurance or here's a path of moving forward. It's just stay in your lane, honey. Don't latch on to these things. Here's how to do the job. Ooh. Ooh. I can't I can't actually say the things in the thought bubble because they're not okay for radio. But our question is relevant. Aren't you angry, Mr. Trudeau, that you appear to be the only guy who didn't know that a woman had come forward with a sexual misconduct allegation against the country's top general? Aren't you angry that your staff didn't tell you about the allegation and instead allowed you to extend Vance's contract and hand him a huge raise? That doesn't make you angry? No, 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 no. The only reason he's not angry is because he doesn't care. He knows he's lying to Canadians, and he's gotten away with it. Because a real leader, especially the kind of leader who's built his brand on being a feminist, would be furious to be the last to know about something so serious. He'd be furious that the staff allowed him to keep Vance on the job. He'd be furious that an alleged victim's complaint had been ignored. He'd be furious by the message it sends to women in the military who have been coming forward with allegations of sexual misconduct for the last 23 years. The only thing Trudeau got angry about is a female journalist daring to ask him a question about it. I mean, let's be clear. I do not buy for a second that Trudeau didn't know about this complaint three years ago. His whole office knew. His minister, Harjit Sajjan, knew. The military ombudsman and the Privy Council knew. All of Ottawa knew because it's been rumored and swirling around for years. 
And so the only way Trudeau does not know about this whole thing is if he stuck his fingers in his ears and said, blah, 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 I can't hear you. And all that so he can hide behind his willful blindness. He's not angry because his only real concern on this issue is the political cost to him. That or maybe he just really does, maybe he sees it differently. I mean, his own groping allegations got a pass by him. And somehow when it comes to his failures, it's always experienced differently. The same interactions could be experienced very differently. And ultimately, someone else always ends up paying the price. We know this. And as soon as this thing starts to stick to him, Trudeau's, you know, he'll stick by Sajin for now. But fear not, the bus is always right around the corner should Trudeau need to push him under it. So he's not, you know, the fact that he's not angry about all these sexual misconduct allegations tells us everything we, we need to know about the kind of feminist he's not and the kind of leader he is. And that is an arrogant, self-aggrandizing leader who talks a good girl power game, but then has no plans to stand up for women in our military because he's more concerned about covering his own ass. And should any woman ask him about it, why he'll put her in her place. Gross. Make no mistake, whether on the battlefield or at the embassy, these brave Afghans helped Canada knowing full well that they were putting themselves in their own harm's way. But their service to Canada comes at a significant cost. The risk of retribution from the Taliban is grave. Afghans who have supported Canada are routinely and deliberately subject to threats of violence, torture and death, as are their families. And these threats are only intensifying. Afghans themselves have paid an equally heavy price, both during and after the war. And yet they did it anyway. Not only does Canada owe them a debt of gratitude, we have a moral obligation to do right by them. Well, it is amazing what public shaming can do because it appears the Trudeau government is finally taking steps to bring Afghans who helped our Canadian troops during the war and bringing them here to this country as refugees. And the details were pretty scarce, but officials are said to be on the ground in Afghanistan and getting ready to help resettle Afghans and their families. How many? We don't know. We were told it's a number in the thousands. And these are people who are now being hunted actively by the Taliban because they're seen as infidels for helping the enemy. And the only help they've gotten so far is from Canadian vets who have been pocketing costs and resources trying to get these people to safety. Robin Rickards is a retired corporal, also a member of a grassroots group called Not Left Behind. He is one of those vets who was in Afghanistan and who is now trying uh, to help Afghan interpreters and workers get out of the country. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you there, Alex. We just talked a couple of days ago, but uh, something must have finally caught on with this government because now all of a sudden they're acting. What do you make of their announcement? Well, look, I think uh, what we saw is the fact that and what I've experienced is that my uh, situation with trying to advocate for a couple of the guys I knew really well when I was overseas wasn't uh, wasn't a solitary endeavor that people have been trying to do this uh, on their own for a long time. And it was it was finally this sort of coalescing of, of all those uh, individual efforts that's created the kind of groundswell of support that we've uh, seen. Also, mm -hmm. to see that it's clearly a nonpartisan issue, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's the, uh, the Conservatives or the NDP or the Greens, uh, People's Party, uh, Liberals, you know, uh, 
nobody sees an issue with getting these people out of harm's way, given what they've done for Canada. So I think it, the calculus was, was pretty easy. The only way it was going to turn into a wedge issue is if something wasn't done about it. And I think the, the government uh, recognized that and, uh, and pushed back because I, I think at, at some level, what it boils down to is there's, there's a lot of work involved in doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes it can be, uh, it can be hard when there's, when there's a lot of work to, to do something. So. Sure. And the minister himself said, you know, we have a moral obligation. It is our duty to, um, you know, take care of these people. Um, And so they're being very kind of, um, I wouldn't say secretive, but they just didn't give out a lot of information. And obviously that's because there are sensitivities on the the ground in Afghanistan, because um, as we spoke about the other day, Taliban is actively hunting these people. Um, The United States is also working to get uh, Afghanis out of the country. And so what goes in to actually getting these people to this country? Like, how does that operation maneuver? Do you know? Uh, well, that's going to uh, that's going to be uh, a difficult question. I mean, um, you know, if it if it, it it could be something like what happened with my uh, my military experience, which was mm-hmm. uh, you would have a, a departure assistance group where you check and make sure everybody's paperwork was in order before they got on the plane. Um, it might be it might be individual civilian flights out with something similar to like that on the uh, the ground in uh, in Ottawa. Um, it's it's hard to say what shape that would uh, take. Uh, I know that uh, your phone's been ringing obviously off the hook because you've been working on this, so I'm sure uh, people are yeah, <laughs> trying to get in touch with you actively, uh, you know, to get information about this. Um, how long do you think this operation will take? I think that the challenge that we face is that uh, there are still people coming out of the uh, the woodwork. Uh, a lot of people, in order to stay safe uh, in these circumstances, people have had to keep a low profile, so they've been apprehensive about exposing themselves. But as it has become clear that Canada is doing something, we're finding more and more people uh, emerging and, and presenting themselves. And you know, in the vast majority of cases, they've they've kept their certificates and their credentials at, at great risk to themselves and their, mm-hmm. their showcase to us. I mean, we've got people with, with signed contracts from the Canadian government, you know? Um, and so I think that what we're likely going to see is sort of um, an initial uh, wave, and then uh, we will have a, a sort of tail on it uh, over time that will slowly uh, taper off um, because one, there's the security concerns so people are starting to come forward now because they, they feel confident that there is a process and, you know, I, I better get in line for this process. The other aspect is that there's a, that there's a language issue as well, right? So um, until it got to a certain critical mass, the, uh, the media coverage wasn't, uh, wasn't out there in, uh, in Dari and Pashto. So some of the some of the people that work for us who don't have uh, good English skills may not have been fully aware of what's happening. And you know, as this has progressed, that information has has gotten to them, and and they're starting to uh, uh, try and uh, find someone who can can help them with the the process. And so, where does your grassroots movement now go? Are you still going to continue doing what you do, or does this then become an information, um, you know, uh, operative where you're set telling people that they have to get in touch with government and, and giving them the route to get to Canadian officials? 
So, right. So we're going to continue doing, uh, doing what we've been doing. And with regards to government officials, they've, uh, you know, in, in something that's relatively rare in, uh, in Ottawa, I think they've, they've recognized that, uh, Afghan Canadian and the Afghan Canadian interpreters group has a relatively robust system mm -hmm. for collecting, uh, information and and people and channeling that so the government's uh, using that information that's already been collected rather than trying to restart a process or anything like that and i think we're going to continue using that and feeding the the raw data to the uh, to the government and then the the government is going to uh, parse that data where it needs to go, you know, uh, maybe settlement services, maybe, uh, maybe the intelligence community to double check uh, background mm -hmm. information, just to make sure that sort of stuff. But it is it is good to see that they're they're not reinventing the, uh, the wheel on this. And they're, they're going to be using what what ACI has, has sort of set in place. Yeah, I mean, these people have been waiting for help for, for over a decade um, now. And so what happens when they get to the ground here in Canada? Will there be support um, by, by groups like yours for them? Well, if it, look, one of, the, one of the problems I've had is that the, uh, the number of messages coming in offering to help out and uh, support has been outstanding. And, you know, I want to I point to, to one example in particular. You know, I, I, Alex, uh, as I've said before, I, I come from kind of the left of the spectrum and there's there been a lot of talk on the the left about uh, you know racism in Canada and that. Well, this morning I just took a, a call from uh, a gun club out in Alberta, eighteen hundred members that says, "Hey, how can we help?" So, you know, we're we're seeing that kind of support, and it shows that uh, the Canada really is um, a country that that tries to look out for people, tries to care for people, regardless of what their background may be. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to buy too much into that rhetoric because I do, by and large, think Canadians are very giving and very uh, and are supportive of a program like this because Afghans were exactly. our allies in this and they help Canadian troops. And so, you know, because people will hear this and they'll say, well, how can I help? How can they help? Is your group taking so, donations? So how can they help? So there's there's two there's two ways. Uh, one, we have uh, we have not left behind which is working through um, True Patriot Love, which was a, a foundation that was set up mm -hmm. to support veterans. Well, um, we've, set, we've set up um, the ability to donate there. We are going to be collecting donations if people are interested to help Afghans get their feet on the ground in Canada. So, you know, it may be hard for them to access credit to start a business or maybe go to school, things like this. Yeah. They could use uh, that. They could use help on that'll that'll give them a a, a boost, so to speak. Um, and we're we're hoping that funds will be available for that. Um, the other side of the the aisle is with ACI and uh, Afghan Canadian interpreters is is now in the process of um, continuing its work with finding Afghan workers in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. But it's now in the process, it has, it has recognized that there is going to be uh, a very specific need that these folks have when it comes to settling in Canada. And so it is undergoing the, uh, the, the transformation that's going to be necessary to, uh, to make them effective in that capacity. So we, uh, we are thinking about that. And if people are interested in helping out, you know, if you're looking to donate, I'd, I'd say that uh, not left behind, um, we're going to be setting that stream up. And, and if you're looking to uh, 
work with a family that's coming over, then I would definitely get in contact with uh, Afghan Canadian interpreters. Yeah, no question about it. They've been through an awful lot and we'll need uh, a bit of support here, uh, to say the least, when they arrive. Well, Robin, we'll keep talking about this and uh, follow the journey now that we've got the government on their heels and getting them active. So uh, we'll see how this operation unfolds. I appreciate your time. You're very, you're very welcome. Thanks, thanks for helping out, Alex. I appreciate your help on the, uh, the issue. No, it's all up to you guys doing this. So we thank you. Robin Rickards is a retired corporal and members of Not Left Behind. Not Left Behind is the group if you want to look up and see how you can help. We'll continue following this to make sure that it's not just some announcement and we actually are getting action. All right, great to have you here as we get you into the weekend. You know, we're marching pretty quickly towards a well-rumored election, and now CSIS is out warning that it's seeing a steady and increasing foreign interference by state actors. And they issued this report on Thursday warning that uh, state actors will be using social media to spread disinformation, and they'll do this by running campaigns which are designed to confuse and divide public opinion and disrupt debate. Their concern is not that the electoral process is at risk, because we still vote here in this country by paper, but that foreign interference poses this major threat to our democracy because it erodes trust and it undermines our rights and its and our freedoms and our ability to debate. Ed Dubrovsky is a managing partner at Cytelligence Canada and QNEX Corporation. He joins us now. Good to have you, Ed. Great to be here. So this is not the physical vote that we're talking about. It is the campaigning with both China and Russia listed as the main culprits. And I don't think anyone in this country will be surprised because they have been playing games for a long time. But what it looks like they're using, according to CSIS, is this combination of their own intelligence and security services. And then they've got agents here on the ground in Canada who like to sow the seeds of confusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, first of all, um, just to provide a little bit of background, uh, what I do day in, day out is really uh, responding to cyber attacks by entities primarily out of Russia and secondarily out of China. And uh, we, we've had um, a lot of experience dealing with threat actors in various different types of attacks. Now, this information is, is a little different because it's not a big bang type of situation, right? Disinformation and changing public opinions happens over time. It doesn't happen in, in one article, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason CSIS has been monitoring these type of activities is because I believe that they're seeing an increase uh, towards the election time uh, in, in such events, such as it could be a, a Facebook ad, it could be Twitter posts of, of various um, entities and the frequency of them. And the, the, the important thing to understand about this information is that when it's presented to you, it cannot all be a lie. In other words, mm -hmm. it could be an article where somebody may perhaps like me talking about certain things that are 99% true and then there is that 1% that is false. And right. that 1% over time starts changing our perception of reality. And that mm -hmm. is the problem that uh, CCS is seeing because as I said, it could come from various channels, multiple inputs into 
um, an individual. And then we are we're all aware that we are in, a, in an information overload age. Um, mm-hmm. As we're getting all this information, we're, we're synthesizing certain things. And if we synthesize on the falsities that uh, we're receiving, we are going to start changing our opinions and potentially sure. influence our decisions. So instead of turning right, we're going to turn left or vice versa. Right. And and China and Russia are known for these tactics. And so, to your point, they'll plant a conspiracy theory, um, whether it's on COVID or um, on a candidate, whatever. They will they will sow that doubt and it will take root. But they're very manipulative when they go after people. Uh, some of the things that they do is they'll um, bully people. They'll try to coerce people. They'll try to, you know, launch cyber attacks, uh, do some espionage. Um, but you're right. It can take hold very quickly, which becomes dangerous, um, which begs the question, why is the government, why are, why are our leaders not doing more to educate people ahead of elections saying, look, you need to understand everything you read is not necessarily true. So make sure you're going to certain, you know, to, to trusted sources, because, you know, it's very easy in this day and age with everyone having a social media platform. You can say whatever you want. And if someone wants to think that it's true, well, then it's true to somebody. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. These countries, and and we are talking about countries, have a lot of resources behind them. If they manage to change even a little bit the, 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 the Canadian foreign policy, which may potentially uh, impact uh, G7 policies, may impact U.S. policies just a little bit, right? Over time, all of these changes could really benefit uh, these nation states, China and Russia. So, so when we're talking about these things, why is the government not doing more? I, I think the task is, is really overwhelming. We're talking about educating every single one of us to be able to filter what could potentially be true or false. This is a huge task to ask of, of any organization to achieve. And, and it's not that simple because, you know, there's, there's a big connection also to, to more traditional cyber attacks like the ransomware and the email sure. compromises. Because these nation states, uh, we believe, at least in the industry, um, are the ones behind those attacks. And hence, the information that they capture out of organizations, Canadian, U.S., and so on and so forth, we're talking about huge amounts of information, some of them uh, very, very secret. So they can take this information, massage it just a little bit, just enough, so that when they can present it back, it looks mostly true, but it contains some, some of that falsity components in it, and that over time changes public yeah. opinion. So it's very, it's a very difficult task. Yeah, I mean, we saw earlier this year, or was it in 2020, when Russia uh, did a cyber attack on our vaccine research? Um, but they'll do this, and they'll, and China is known for 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 getting all sorts of our data and, and launching cyber attacks, like they did with Microsoft. And and for now, they're getting away with it, Ed. But we've got to get a lot smarter in North America about this. And I'm not sure, other than whether it's a lack of political will um, or naivety that no one in charge will take charge. I mean, you know, I can only say 
China probably would like the liberals to win again because China knows that liberals won't stand up to them. So that's probably how they'll interfere is to keep going after a candidate like Aaron O'Toole because under a conservative government, they've already said that they will be far more aggressive against China. And so those are the, those are the tactics that China knows it's up against. And so, yeah, they'll sow the seeds of, of doubt. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's this concept in, in, in cybersecurity we call zero trust. And, and bringing it to the real world, it's all about how can you learn how to trust what you're hearing, sometimes even what you're seeing these days, especially with the, uh, with the fake uh, videos and yeah. pictures. I'm sure everybody's seen the, the Obama talking or some, some other actor and so on. Technology is amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and it's amazing in trying to deceive us so we need to almost take the, um, the, the foundational um, kind of posture that we don't trust anything until it's proven 100% trustworthy. Um, and again, it's easy to say it's very, very difficult to truly implement in real life because you can't just walk around not trusting anybody. We're human beings, right? We, we live in a society we have to fundamentally trust certain things. The question is, how can we get better at learning who to trust and who not to trust? And that goes the same uh, for data as well, right? So very, very, very difficult uh, goal to achieve, uh, but one that we must continuously keep in kind of the back of our minds and, and, and think how we could potentially implement these things better. And just doing what we've done in the past and continuing to do it in the future while technology is, is evolving leaps and bounds with artificial intelligence and so on and so forth is not going to work. We need better tools and better capabilities and education at the same time to get better at synthesizing critical thinking um, and, and really understanding what the risks are out there. Um, again, very easy to say, I know, but it's uh, much harder to do. Yeah, much, much harder to implement. Well, it'll take a whole lot of political will, and we're just not seeing it, sadly. Uh, Ed, I appreciate your time on this and your insight. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Alex. That is uh, Ed Dubrowski joining us. He's with Intelligence Canada and Q Next, and so. Consider yourself warned. Again, we shouldn't be surprised by any of this, but uh, get more sources than just one sources. Those are not cheering fans. What you're hearing is the sound of protesters at the opening of the games because there were more protesters than there were people watching. They weren't allowed. And no question, the 2021 Olympics is going to be like no other. It's either going to be an unmitigated disaster or it will surpass expectations, which the bar is set pretty low for success because these games, pretty much from the last couple of years, have been mired in controversy. The locals don't want it. They want it canceled. They're worried about cases of COVID exploding. We've got athletes competing under the threat of catching the virus. There are no crowds in the stands. There are no tourists pouring through the streets. So folks there are not looking like they're getting their investment. 
And then you've got the Japanese corporate sponsors. They've poured $3 billion into this game. This is the largest amount we've seen in history. But even before the opening ceremonies today, they were bailing on plans. I mean, Toyota alone, which put in $1 billion, isn't even running Olympic-themed commercials in Japan because they fear blowback from the Japanese people. And once Toyota pulls back, others follow. Daniel Tish is president and CEO of Argyle Public Relations. Good to have you, Dan. Hi, Alex. Who doesn't want to be involved in the Olympics? Everyone wants to be involved in the Olympics. I mean, everyone moans and groans about the price and all the problems. But once the games generally arrive, people get excited about it. And that's why it works for advertisers. This, not so much. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the the thing is, big sporting events have always been political, right? Like, there's always been local opposition. There have been global boycotts. Athletes making political statements. Doping, you know, controversies and corruption, right? Um, but having said that, you know, advertisers have always uh, been able to navigate this, um, you know, uh, but it seems it's never been harder than it is right now with the right. local pandemic. That's that's still very severe in Japan. Uh, the global pandemic, all the risks related to social justice uh, movements. Um, and so I'm not surprised that we're seeing Toyota and other others discontinue local advertising while maintaining advertising here in Canada and in all the other markets around the world. So they are trying to have it both ways. They are, but can you have it both ways? I mean, sure, the international audience will watch, but I'm not sure, like, I love the summer games, but I'm probably not going to be as driven to watch them as I am in the past. I mean, you know, there's not the excitement that we normally see with the games. And so, you know, can, can these companies have it both ways? I think the, the reality is that the brands are, are very unlikely to pull their Olympic ads outside Japan, right? I mean, only mm-hmm. if there's a catastrophe, right? I mean, changing a TV ad campaign, it's, it's like turning an ocean liner around, right? I mean, they're shot, they're booked, they're paid for well in advance. And, and the other thing is, I think the, the, the advertisers have already managed their risk by focusing less on the games and more on the athletes, right? And, and yeah. that's, that's something that we can all embrace right and and the uh, and some advertisers are also uh using the the audience which which will have which which regardless there will be a huge audience for the games they're using it to launch other types of marketing campaigns and and so the question is will we watch i think we will right we may object to the olympics on ethical grounds but we'll watch it anyway right so there's still an roi in advertising um it'll be interesting to see what what uh what happens in the future as less money pours into mass advertising and more onto, you know, customized platforms like Facebook, where you can say, I want to talk to a woman, you know, in her forties, uh, who has, uh, two kids, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, which, where you can customize an audience in, in a way that's, uh, that's, 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 you know, superior to what you can do on TV. Yeah, and the Olympics is, um, and, but generally it's kind of like the grand poobah of advertising, right? I mean, you've got the, mm-hmm. you've got like the the Super Bowl, you've got the Stanley Cup, but really the the Olympics, I think, is is kind of in a category of its own, and so advertisers love to be a part of it. Whether it's Roots or you've got Coca Cola, they all the giants kind of come for this one. The problem with this games is there's so much uncertainty that the risk yeah, to the brand, yeah. if let's say there's like all of a sudden an explosion of COVID and athletes are getting sick and what, I mean, what's the ba- biggest risk in your mind to the advertisers and the corporate sponsors of this event? Well, I, I think the advertisers, uh, the, the, the biggest risk is that whatever, whatever 
brand, be it an athlete's brand, an, a, a, a national Olympic team brand, or the brand of the games itself, whatever brand they've hitched themselves to, they've tied themselves to a certain type of equity, right? And if that equity were damaged because, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the owners of that, of that, uh, that brand, you know, did something inappropriate or were seemed to, to have, uh, have failed in some way, there's the risk, right? And, and that's yeah. why I think, that's why you see, though, you know, them very few, I, I see very little about, you know, the games are an elevation of the human spirit kind of, kind of ads <laughs> out there, right? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I see more, I see more like, you know, um, Canadian Tire does this, we all play for Canada, they're focusing on the hometown heroes, Kraft Peanut right, Butter. Right, right, right. Craft peanut butter has this, I thought, I think quite smart campaign that they're calling your cheers, their ears, right? So there's, they're saying we can't be there in person. No one will cheer them on in person. So go to our website and record your cheers for the athletes and we're going to send it to them. Right. So, so yeah, like Cheerios did that. So like, yeah, yeah, then that that makes sense. I see all of this as a, as a way that they're, they're, you know, as I said before, they're trying to have it both ways. They're, they're, they are continuing to invest in, in, uh, Olympic advertising, but they're lowering their risk by saying, well, you know, we think it's a pretty low risk that, uh, you know, the athletes that we're, that we're, that we're backing are going to do something really foolish. <laughs> it's never impossible. We've seen it before, but, um, but, but they're not hitching their wagons to the Olympic Games as an institution the way, the way they have before. And there's a lot of anger. I mean, it's drummed up a lot of conversation. That's negative conversation about, you know, should we be investing in these things anymore? It's like the bread and circuses um, debate. And and so I don't even know, you know, so people get kind of mired in that. And so moving forward, Dan, do you see that people will start to rethink their investments into Olympics? Oh, I I do. You know, the the I mean, I think they'll still be capitalizing on the audience. But there are two big trends here, I think, that we just have to be aware of. I mean, the first is. Uh, the ability to micro-target marketing to the individual is rising, and the value proposition of the Olympics to a local market is falling. Right, and so you you put those things together. Right, I mean, um, if increasingly marketing dollars are going to micro-targeting, like on social media, like Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, they're shifting away from mass advertising, and similarly, who wants to host the Olympics? Right, you know, yeah. um, who wants to host you know, any of these big events, right? You saw in Toronto, uh, you know, they, they were trying to bring, there's a group uh, trying to bring uh, an expo here, right? You know, um, which is a completely different value proposition to the Olympics and arguably has far more economic benefit, is here for far longer and engages the local community much more. But a lot of people just, you know, because they don't like the Olympics, they say, or, the, you know, they, they say, well, we don't want anything here, right? And so, that's, I think we're going to continue to see local movements for a whole bunch of reasons opposed to these to what they see as boondoggles, and the IOC is not helping matters uh, yeah. through you know persistent stories of corruption that uh, that that continue year after year after year. No kidding. Well, enjoy whatever you watch. Should you be watching and. Um Stay on standby. I might need you to talk about damage control, depending on what happens with the games. But I appreciate your time, Dan. Always a pleasure chatting. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Alex. That is Daniel Tish. He's president and CEO of Argyle Public Relations. Hey, you never know. It could be the greatest games of all time. And uh, no one will have actually gone to it. But uh, nonetheless, we will see. Time will tell. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Pearson. Of course, you can listen live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.